Welcome to Built to Go, a van life podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Wagg, coming to you from the College of Curiosity. This time, we're going to talk about lavatory realities, sound deadening, a controversial topic, and a tale from the road involving an encounter on I-70. I'm also going to review the Ventline Van Air. That's one of those mushroom-style fans, a roof vent fan. And we'll talk about a great place to visit called the Sanibel Causeway Islands. A little bit of Q&A, some recommendations, and we're good to go. Welcome back. Thanks for being here for episode three. So, first question a lot of people have when they even think about sleeping in a van is, how do you go potty? Well... This is a problem that you have already solved in your life somehow. Have you ever been on a long car trip? Well, you have found a way to deal with this. Have you ever gone camping? You've also found a way to deal with it there. But the fact that you're in a vehicle that's completely enclosed and um, it's an object that moves gives you some opportunities that you may not have before. So rather than think of this as an obstacle, I'm inviting you to think of it as an opportunity. First, an obvious thing that we must talk about. There are differences in male and female anatomy. The truth is that, like many things in life, men have it much easier in this department because our equipment is more, shall we say, adjustable to the conditions. Uh, I am a guy. I will discuss some of the feminine issues regarding this, but I am certainly not an expert, and you should not take my word as such. Let's, uh, shall we say, dive right in. I'll tell you what I did. In my van, I have a Dometic uh, cassette toilet, they call this, and uh, it's a porta portable toilet, but it, it actually flushes. The way this thing works is it's, a, uh, it's about the size of a milk crate. And it has a toilet seat, and there is a bowl, and you do your business in the bowl, and then there is a flush. The flush is a little different than at a home toilet. You have a separate button that fills the bowl with water, and then a slide that opens a hole, and everything falls into the hole, and you close it up. There's no odor. uh, It has worked very well. I got the small one. It holds two and a half gallons of waste, um, which is only enough for a few days, but for... Me, and uh, being in an NV200, a Nissan NV200, I have space issues. Um, the savings in space over the the five-gallon one is actually worth the diminished capacity. You would think that would be the end of the story. All right, you've got a toilet at the end. Well, no, and, and this is why. Um, it is not that hard to empty this thing. I just have to take the cassette out. It's like this little suitcase that comes out of the bottom of the toilet and it's filled with the waste and I can take it to any toilet or outhouse or Jiffy John or anything like that or even a dump station I've done that and dump it out and rinse it and be done and I do add chemicals um, but I find that that's not a big burden however it is a bit of a burden to have to have this thing with your waste in it because then you're thinking well I gotta empty this soon and you have that weighing on your mind so I actually find that I hardly ever use it And that's partially because of uh, strategies I use. So, getting into the nitty-gritty here, we're talking about two different kinds of waste. There are liquid waste and solid waste. For guys, anyway, liquid wastes are pretty easy to deal with. Let's face it, if you're a guy and you're in a van, you're going to have a pee bottle or something like that. Nearly everybody I know that is a guy pees into a bottle and then either empties the bottle 
in a an appropriate place or just throws the bottle out. In the trucking industry, these are called P-bombs, as uh, some unscrupulous people throw them out windows, which I am highly against. And then, you know, for, for solids, which happen less often for most people, you can use the porta potty But it's, since that's a more, shall we say, controllable urge in most cases, uh, you can also just find restrooms. And that's what I tend to do is when I park up for the night, I will try to stay someplace where I'm near a restroom that I can use. And then I will try to use the public restroom if it's at all possible. Now, that said, I love the comfort of knowing that no matter what, I've got a place to go. I don't ever have to worry about that 4 a.m. urgency and then realizing that I'm going to have to grab my shovel and go out in the woods, which is also a viable option. So that's my situation, but let's talk about some of the different options. So you've got the chemical toilet, which I've just talked about. Great, I recommend them. But they're expensive. They cost about 100 bucks, and you have to replace chemicals in them. And then in the winter, you've got this issue where, well, the the water that you flush them with is fresh water that freezes. So um, you can actually fill them up with windshield washer fluid or RV antifreeze and still use them in the winter. So that's another bonus. But this stuff costs money. Another way to do it is to just get a Home Depot or Lowe's five-gallon bucket, find one with a lid, and then you can take a pool noodle, cut it, and run the pool noodle around the rim, and you've got a fairly comfortable seat to do your thing. And then inside the bucket, you can put a heavy-duty bag, and then it's up to you, however you want to handle that. You can, every time you use it, throw the bag away carefully, or you can cover the top with sawdust or kitty litter or something like that until the bag is a bit fuller and then throw it away. I know one uh, vlogger who uses their bucket as their trash as well. So they empty it once a day, they do everything that's being gotten rid of in that one bucket, and then they throw it away at the end of the day, and that has worked well for them. And the cost for that, obviously, is is much cheaper. You can you can buy pre-made buckets like this, like the Luggable Lou. Um, but why didn't I go that way? It takes up space. A five-gallon bucket is actually much bigger than, than my toilet. And I didn't I just It just didn't sound nice to me. Um, however, if I were to do it again, if I were going to start over from scratch, I would have to give it strong consideration for a number of reasons. You've got simplicity on your side. Uh, you've got comfort on your side, believe it or not. Uh, the, the, the portable toilets are fine, but if you get the smaller one, you're in a kind of a squatting position rather than a sitting position, which may or may not be good, depending, but it's not as comfortable for a Westerner, whereas the, the buckets you can actually just sit on. And uh, and here's the thing about both of these solutions. If you bring one of those little portable shower tents with you, if you're camping for a while, you can actually set up your own bathroom outside the van, which is great if you're traveling with somebody especially. So... Um, they work for that too. But I know van folk who don't have any solution. I mean, almost everybody has a pee bottle. They may not tell you that, but they probably do. Be careful of the apple juice folks. Some of them just, they just plan well enough that they always use public facilities. And then for those times when they can't, they do the old, uh, what do bears do in the woods solution, which is legit. You just have to be careful to avoid waterways, dig a hole at least six inches, and don't leave anything in the hole other than waste. Um, some people recommend that if you have toilet paper, you burn it. Uh, given fire conditions in much of the country now, uh, 
And man, I'm watching you, Australia. I'm sorry for what's going on down there. That might not be a great idea. You've got those options. Those are the obvious ones. Um, If you're going to get a bit fancier and you are more eco-conscious, a lot of folks like composting toilets. These are toilets that turn your waste into compost, basically, or at least get it set up to go there. They're kind of expensive. Uh, they require electricity, which might surprise you, and that's because they um, they use a fan. There's a fan that blows over the solids to dry them out, and they do consume something like sawdust or cocoa fibers or something like that. The trickiest part with these, though, is that they require you to be fairly accurate in your processes because you are supposed to separate the liquids and the solids while you are eliminating and I am not sure that I could do that. Also, these require maintenance. You have to stay on top of them. You can't say, use this thing, and then leave your van parked for two weeks and then come back. That will be a bad story. I've also heard some stories about bugs getting in there and stuff, but that's easily mitigated with screens. So, composting toilets are definitely something to consider, but remember, they need power, maintenance, and they are quite expensive. Now, if you want to get high-tech, and I've never seen anyone use these things, they do make a couple of other toilets that seem interesting. One is, it's a toilet that kind of has a space baggie in it. Now, if you've ever um, seen a diaper genie, or how that works, is you take the diaper and you toss it in this, well, it's like a tube. You put the diaper in the tube, and then you twist the lid, and it seals the diaper in this tube of plastic. And you keep doing that until the tube of plastic is full, and then you throw out this whole big slinky thing of of used diapers. They make toilets like that. And you put in this cassette of mylar, it's basically a big tube, but it doesn't look like that. And every time you go, you press a button, and it will spin the mylar around your waist and seal it. And then you can use that maybe 10 or 15 times until you have this rather, I imagine, rather heavy and big thing to discard. An interesting idea. I've never seen it in use. And the other one I've seen, which actually used to be common, is an incinerator. This thing will work either on propane or electric, and obviously you need quite a bit of power. And you do your business into what looks like a big coffee filter. And then shut the lid, you press a button, and it sucks that coffee filter down and then burns it at like a thousand degrees. Liquids, solids, everything. It's gone. The only thing that's left is some fine ash. So, um, that actually sounds like a pretty good long-term solution to me, but the power requirements and the expense, these things cost well over a thousand dollars, are probably going to drive you away. Okay, now, back to women. Obviously, for a man to use a pee bottle, it's not a big deal. Um, Also, you know, hey, men can just go out into the woods uh, for number one, and really is not a big deal. It's a little bit trickier for women. You, however, live in a time where there are many, many devices that can help you uh, with these things. Uh, One is called a she-wee. You can just Google that, and uh, it's basically a funnel that makes it easier for you to do these things. And then when you're talking about monthly issues, uh, there are a lot of solutions there. I highly recommend you talk to women about that because I have no experience. But I do know that um, many van life people like to use a Diva Cup, which you can Google if you're not familiar with. And uh, then after that, it's like, uh, you know, what you go through normally. Hey, van life is not like living in a house, but don't let this issue stop you. There are ways to get over this. Um, 
probably the biggest problem you're going to have in the elimination department is if you're sharing a van with somebody because the one thing that's super hard in a van is privacy. So if you are traveling with someone, have a talk with your partner and talk about how you would like to deal with this. Some couples don't care. Some other couples have plans like, I get the van all to myself between 6 o'clock and 6.30 in the morning, or, or whatever. Or, hey, why don't you go for a walk? That kind of a thing. So, when you start building your van, it's likely that you're going to go look at websites and YouTube videos, and they talk about, you know, do this, here's your first step. And, and a lot of people, the very first thing they do is they buy a big roll of something like Dynamat. Dynamat is... It's basically, it's like a tar covered with foil. And its purpose is to stop the metal on, of the van from resonating. A lot of people, when they're driving an empty van, they feel like they're driving in a big drum because every noise, every bump on the road resonates through the van and it's very loud. So they solve this by using this sound deadening stuff called Dynamat, or there's a, there's a bunch of others. And then you cover the walls with it. Now the truth is you don't have to cover the entire wall with it. You just need to put big sections of it on the wall because uh, if you leave little bits around the edges, it's not going to matter. The sound will still be deadened. Uh, a, a lot of fancy um, car stereo installations will have this in the doors, for example. So, does the stuff work? Yes. It's great. It's kind of expensive. It does add some weight to your van. But my question is, is it necessary? I've had a number of conversations with folks about this. Some of them believe that you will have the noisy, horrible van if you don't put in sound deadening. But in my experience, I think insulation is actually going to deaden the sound enough for you. All insulation is also sound deadening because the things that stop heat from transferring also stop sound. So what I did in my van is I ignored the sound deadening problem and just put up insulation. And I find that the van is fairly quiet. I mean, it's a van. Uh, I've got little tiny wheels that generate some noise. It's certainly not as quiet as a Lexus or a BMW, but it's quiet enough that I can have a conversation with my passenger. The other thing is, is think about this. You're putting the sound deadening in the back of the van. Well, normally there isn't going to be anyone back there while you're driving. And as far as noise from when you're parked, uh, I'm sorry, there's really not a lot you can do in that department. Even if you sound dead in the van, that's not going to prevent that much noise from coming in or going out. You still get vents. Even if you have an installed vents, you still have vents. There are vents in there. Uh, in the rear quarter panels, there are always vents so that you can shut the doors. Because if you didn't have vents back there, the, the doors would compress the air and you wouldn't be able to shut them. Hey, those are my thoughts on sound deadening. Feel free to disagree with me. Feel free to spend the money and put up the sound deadening. It isn't going to hurt much except your wallet and maybe a little bit on the weight side. And it absolutely will keep your van quieter. Tales from the road. Okay, this story. I got to get it off my chest. Um... This summer I was driving on I-70 in Colorado, which is one of the best drives in the world. I love I-70 in Colorado. Uh, some of it is just this road that's attached to the side of a cliff, and you're actually driving through the air, and it's beautiful. It's one of the best drives in the country. If you at all ever can drive I-70, and this is an interstate I'm talking about, uh, I, I literally mean this, this is like the only interstate that is better than the roads around it. 
uh, have lots of gas because gas stations are fairly rare. Anyway, I pull over into this uh, rest area. It doesn't have a name. It might even actually be called the no-name rest area because there is one called that. I think it might be that one. Anyway, it's this big horseshoe that goes along a cliffside, cliff face, and it is beautiful. I mean, if this thing were, say, in Iowa, it would be a national park. Here in Colorado, it is just a rest area, and I'm just thrilled, and I actually decide I'm going to take an actual rest. Now, this rest area, you're probably imagining a building with a lot of parking spaces. It's not that. It's a big, long horseshoe road that's maybe a mile or two miles long, and you just kind of park on the side. I drive maybe halfway down. There are no other cars near me. And I park, and I make breakfast. You know, I've got all my stuff there, and I take my chair and my table out, and I'm setting up breakfast right by this beautiful red cliff face. And it's just really nice. The temperature's perfect. There are some birds. It's just one of those nice moments, kind of the the moments you imagine having when you start thinking about traveling in a van. And then I hear a car. And it pulls up right behind my van. And I'm thinking, okay... This person is doing this not because they also want to have this idyllic experience, but because they want to have something to do with me. Okay, so I look over, and it is not a police car or a park ranger or anything like that. It is a middle-aged woman, and she's in a, like, uh, it was a Subaru, I believe. She was in a Subaru. And she opens the door, and she's got something in her hand, and she says, Hello! Isn't it a beautiful day? And she starts walking towards me. And uh, I said, absolutely, yes, it's a beautiful day, and look at this amazing place that's just called Rest Area, where anywhere else in the world it would be a national park, etc., etc. And then I notice what's in her hand. Can you guess? Can you guess what's in her hand? I bet you can. How to get to heaven. Yes, folks, the Jehovah's Witnesses have tracked me down in rural Colorado, and they've come to ring my doorbell. Uh, Look. Everyone has their own religious beliefs. My religious beliefs are, by and large, non-existent. And I am not going to come up to you and tell you to stop believing what you're believing. I am going to respect your privacy and realize that, hey, this little area here where you've parked on the side of the road is your private space. Imagine setting up a campground and having someone just walk right up into the middle of it and start trying to sell you something, because that's what this experience was like. I was not happy, and I ended up being very impolite to her. I said, hey, I'm here trying to eat my breakfast, and you're here bothering me. Go away. Uh, It's not, not like me generally, but I was fairly irate. I was having one of these moments that I wanted to have, that I was, had spent all this time building the van and traveling to have, and this woman was stomping all over it because she has these beliefs that I don't have. She was shocked, taken aback. She said, I didn't realize, and then she stomped off to her car and drove away. Good. But here's my problem. This was in the morning, and this could have ruined my whole trip. I could have just stewed on this over and over and just thought about, this woman, And so I turned it around. Here I was in the bliss of nature, and this woman, rather than also having a similar experience, felt a need to change me. She has something broken in her that is 
telling her she needs to go change people. And ultimately, that is kind of sad. She doesn't have the ability to realize that there's another human being who is just fine. Uh, I am imagining that she saw me as maybe a homeless person. I mean, I hadn't had a shower in three days, and I wasn't necessarily dressing very nice because I'm just out in the van by myself. And I, I feel like she probably thought that she could offer me something spiritual. But ultimately think she's the one that was in need in that situation, and not me. And thinking about that, let me think about what she was doing more charitably. I don't think she is an evil person so much as she is a clueless one. And boy, I wish more people would get a clue. Okay, product review. I have an NV200. I keep saying that. I'm going to keep saying it. I don't have a big van. I have a small roof, and the roof has solar panels on it, so I have very little space up there for vents. I would love to have a Max Air up there, or um, a fantastic fan, but I really don't think I have the space. So I bought one of these things called a Ventline Van Air. Now, it, Van Air is the model. It's from a company called Ventline. It's about the size of a ping pong paddle um, without the handle part, and it sticks up a few inches. And the way this thing works is from the inside there's this handle, and you push the handle up and it pops up the top of the mushroom, and air can get in and out, and it's also rainproof, um, other than in crazy thunderstorms conditions, but most of the time it's completely rainproof. In fact, the summer I tend to leave it open all the time. And it has a fan in it, it has a squirrel cage fan in it. And this thing has actually worked pretty well. Now, you're not going to move the kind of air through this thing that you are through a Fantastic Fan or a Max Air. And it doesn't have any of the automatic self-closing features or anything like that. But if you have a limited space and need to move some air, this thing works pretty well. It has a switch in it that is on-off. There's no uh, potentiometer or rheostat. You can't adjust the amount of air going through. But you can, if you're clever with switches, adjust it being in or out. I have mine venting out. So the idea is that the vent will suck air out of any other opening in the van. In the van, And that seems to work pretty well. Consider this, if you need another vent or if you have a small van and you need a vent that isn't going to take up as much space and you don't want to spend a few hundred bucks, these are like $70. This is a good solution and uh, it has worked well for me over for, you know, the whole time I've had the van. So that is the Ventline Van Air. Oh, also, I should mention it has a smoke cover, so it does let some light through. Some people will paint them white uh, just to be a little bit more stealthy, but uh, it doesn't seem to matter. I think it's fine the way it is. So as a link in the show notes, they're a little bit hard to find. Um, I had to get mine not from <laughs> Amazon. Ventline Van Air. Looking for a place to visit? This is this is a great spot if uh, if you want to take pictures of your van in an idyllic location. On the west coast of Florida, there's an island called Sanibel, and it has a sister island called Captiva. It's right off the coast of Fort Myers, and there's there's a causeway that connects them. This is a, a rather unique place in Florida in that this community has decided that nature is important, and they are trying to keep the island from being overdeveloped. You won't find any big high-rise hotels or anything here. Uh, there's plenty of people there, and there's plenty of 
buildings and stuff, but there's also a lot of nature areas. One of the most famous is the Ding Darling um, Reserve, which is this drive through this amazing landscape of, of salt marshes and freshwater marshes, and you will see birds there that you can see nowhere else. It's absolutely amazing. But that's actually not where I'm telling you to go, because you probably already know about that. I want you to go and check out the islands on the causeway. So the way they built this thing is um, from Fort Myers to Sanibel, they used to have a ferry and they decided they wanted to have a road, but it has to cross quite a bit of open water. So they built these islands, these big, long, skinny islands, and they have the causeway kind of jump from island to island until it gets to the big island of Sanibel. And they're beautiful. Um, these islands, you can pull off the road and you're just instantly on this beautiful beach with palm trees or pine trees, depending on which section, and these beautiful waves. And because of how they're situated, you can always catch a good sunset or a good sunrise because you have a 360 degree view of the ocean there. They're great for fishing. And if you are a wind surfer, this is one of the best places in the country. There is always wind there. So the Sanibel Causeway Islands. Now it will cost you six bucks to get over there. There is a toll, but that's in your favor because that keeps out too many people. There's almost always some space there. One note, there is very limited opportunity for sleeping in your van on these islands. Parking is at a premium. Parking on the Causeway Islands is free, but you will not be able to park there overnight. It is one of the places you will definitely get a knock. So there's a campground on the island. It's called Periwinkle Place. Great place. I love it. Or go there for the day and then get back on the mainland in Fort Myers and find a normal place to park. It's, it's a little bit unfortunate because this would be the best place to park a van ever in the history of van parking. But honestly, if it was open and you could get away with it, you'd have 100 vans there every night and it would ruin it. So, Sanibel Causeway Islands, check it out if you're in South Florida. It is well worth a stop. Hey, quick resource recommendation. Lots of talk about insulation, lots of controversy. Uh, there's a gentleman by the name of Greg Virgo, and he was at Camp Quirky last year. Uh, Camp Quirky is a van gathering in the UK that looks wonderful. I wish I could get my van to the UK somehow. And he gives a very nice 40-minute talk on YouTube about insulating your van, all the ins and outs, What's what? What's the difference between conductive heat and radiant heat? Things like that. If you're confused about all the misinformation and everyone telling you different things about insulation, stop, take an hour, take 45 minutes, and watch this video. It will really help you know what people are talking about. And yeah, you're still going to have some controversy, but at least you'll be informed enough to understand the controversy. Okay, Q&A. Uh, my friend Naomi, with whom I have literally traveled the world, asks, how can you travel in a van with pets? Now, Naomi happens to have, ooh, how many dogs is she up to? She has four or five dogs and a cat. Um, and I think that might be a bit much, but I know people have done it. The answer is yes, you can travel with your pets if you're willing to put in the effort. Um, dogs in vans, that's a fairly easy one. Dogs love vans, and they're good on cold nights to keep you warm, too. Obviously, you have to take them out and walk them, and there's all those issues like that. Where do you store food? You need extra water, things like that. Um, cats, similarly, can actually do well in vans. You've got a few more issues with cats in that they 
tend to escape and not come back if they want to. You have to have a very well socialized cat, preferably one that's used to a harness. Uh, litter boxes can be dealt with in vans. There are many places in a van where you can hide a litter box, kind of like have them in a, have it in a cabinet and have a hole that's hidden. Um, if you happen to be in an RV and you're listening to this, a lot of people will put their litter boxes in a lower bay and then have a hole inside a cabinet that lets the cat go down in the lower bay. And then you can actually empty the litter box from the outside. That's a great solution. Birds, uh, parrots and such, people have them in RVs and in vans. It can be done. And uh, a recent controversy on Facebook was somebody who asked how they could have a fish in a van. Personally, I think it could be done. I think if you had a feeder goldfish or a couple of feeder goldfish and a generous amount of water, yeah, you could have fish in there too. But all these things have work. And there's one one common problem with all of these things with pets, and that is temperature control. If you are in your van, you are going to control the temperature pretty well because you're in there. But let's say you have to leave the van for eight hours on a summer day. How are you going to keep it cool enough in there for your pets? And let's say that you need to do something simple like get groceries. I can tell you that half an hour is long enough for the temperature inside the van to be a problem. So... Air conditioning is very difficult to do on batteries, and it's not as though you can just plug into the grocery store. You can have a generator. Uh, Generators have their problems. But um, another friend of mine named Kate, who I had a, a lovely trip to Scandinavia and Iceland with, she has a great idea, and that is for the grocery problem, uh, order your groceries online and then just do a pickup. You can just go in and get your groceries, and you have your minimal amount of time away from the van. So the short answer is yes, you can absolutely have pets with you as you travel. And, and you know, it's, it's almost hard to find a van that doesn't have a dog in it. But keep in mind that you absolutely have to make some sacrifices for the love of that animal. And most pet owners think it's worth it. Okay, thanks for listening to this episode three. My name is Jeff Wagg, and I'm with the College of Curiosity. All music in this episode is from Simon Wagg, also known as Sir Mouge. And I will talk to you soon.